0: this morning All right. That's much better isn't it? at least for, for you. Okay, well'll take your Bible. let's go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. We're going to focus on Peter this morning in this hour. and I like Peter. he's a lot like most of us, both negatively and positively. And I think we can learn much from his life, as the Bible says, things that are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So uh, much here from his life that we can learn. Let's uh, read a little bit here in Luke 22, starting with verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he, Jesus, said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Did you know the devil knows us better than we know ourselves? Now, we think we know ourselves pretty well. We know what we like. We know what we enjoy. We know what we dislike. We know the people we like to hang around the food we like to eat, the places we like to go, the jobs we like to do. We, we think we know ourselves pretty well. But the devil knows us. And, and, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And it's interesting that Paul said, by any means. In other words, the devil doesn't care how he ruins our life, as long as he gets the job done. Uh, With some, he might use drugs or alcohol or immorality. But the devil's just as content to use pride or envy or gossip or fear or worry or those things to destroy us as he does those other kinds of things. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, the word devour there means to make, to disappear. Satan doesn't have a magic wand that he can wave over us and make us vanish into thin air, but Satan wants your testimony to disappear. He wants your impact on someone else to disappear. He knows you're already saved. He knows that you've trusted Christ. There's nothing he can do about that. He can't take that away. But he can make your impact upon your family or on your neighbors or on those at work he can make that testimony to disappear, and that's his goal. So let's look at the life of Peter here, because we might think, well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I, I I'm doing fine. The devil's not a threat to me. He's not gonna He's not gonna trip me up. Well, we ought to be careful because uh, when we think we stand, we're gonna fall. Right? Pride goeth before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall and let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So we can think, we can feel confident that we can defeat Satan in our life, but we got to be careful of pride there. Uh, other times we might think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I I'm know Christ, and I've been raised in church, and I know the Bible pretty well, and I don't think uh, the devil's going to be able to penetrate my life. Well, be careful, because our heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We think, well, if the devil does sucker punch me, I mean, if the devil does get me, uh, I'll be able to, you know, bounce back. He's not going to keep me down for long. But you remember the man named Samson? Samson had the Spirit of God upon his life even before he was born. Samson was born into a, a Nazarite vow, a very sacred vow, because God wanted to use Samson. He wanted to, to make Samson the deliverer of the nation of Israel over their enemies, particularly the Philistines. But Samson got careless. Now, Samson had amazing strength. And I don't, I don't think Samson was a, a strong-looking man because nobody could figure out where his strength came from. So, so Samson was just a normal person like you and I. But boy when the Spirit of God came on him, he had some amazing strength. I mean, one day Samson took a lion and ripped him in half. I don't even know what would possess a person to try that, right? He just took him with his bare hands and ripped this lion in half. One time Samson got aggravated with the Philistines and he, he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together, lit them on fire, and sent them through the Philistines' cornfield. One day they caught Samson and they said, we got you now. And they took some some new ropes and some new wreaths and they tied him to the gate of the city. And Samson's just letting him do it. And when they finished, he said, you guys done? Okay. And he stood up and he walked away with the whole gate. I mean, Samson had this amazing strength. And no doubt that strength caused him to be quite confident as he faced the enemy over and over again. But he got careless with that vow. He wasn't supposed to touch anything dead. That was part of the Nazarite vow. And yet Samson was hungry one day, and he saw a, a lion's carcass in the way, and the bees had made some honey there in the carcass, and Samson took that honey and, and satisfied his appetite. He had touched something that was dead. He had broken that vow. Samson uh, got loose with the women, as we know, and 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 the wine and all those things. And, and one day Samson awakens in the lap of Delilah, And he opens his eyes as she screams, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee, the Philistines be upon thee. And as he opens his eyes, he sees the locks of his hair on the ground. Another violation of the Nazarite vow. And the Bible says there in verse 20 of Judges 16, he he arose and he shook himself. And he said, I will go out as at other times before. In other words, he knew that he had violated this vow. He knew that he had had disappointed God and and, and disgraced this Nazarite vow. And he knew that that God's hand was off of him. But he thought, I'll go out and do it in my own strength. And the Bible says, he wist not that the Spirit had departed from him. If we're not careful, the devil can kind of numb us as we go through life to thinking, hey, I'm okay, or I'll be able to bounce back. But Samson uh, didn't, didn't find that to work in his life. So let's look at the life of Peter and see four common tactics that I believe Satan will use in our life. He certainly used them in Peter's life. First of all, Satan will heighten our fears. Now, fear is a natural human emotion. We all, if we were honest, we have certain fears. Um, everybody's afraid of something. I, I'll, I'll go first. I, I don't like snakes. I, I don't want to be around a snake. I don't want to be anywhere close to a snake. Uh, I, I was in a church here recently and the, and the pastor's son, he had a, he had about a hundred snakes in the basement of their house. And, um, uh, you talk about not wanting to go over to eat. I mean, <laughs> there's no way. I'm going to that house. Now this kid loves snakes. He he studies them. He, he He's an expert on them. Well, I mean, he just knows every snake there is in the world and, and loves snakes. I don't like snakes. I had a bad experience when I was four years old with a snake and I've never wanted to be close to one since. I just have a fear of snakes. You say, Brother Getz, that's not a poisonous snake. I don't, I'm not going to hang around long enough to find out if it is or isn't. I'm out of there. I don't like snakes. You maybe are have some fears of your own. Maybe you don't like heights, or maybe you don't like the dark, or maybe you don't like closed-in spaces. The number one fear, and they take these surveys all the time, but the number one fear among human beings is public speaking. It's the number one fear, to get up in front of a crowd and speak. In fact, death usually comes in number three. So some people would rather die than give a speech, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, everybody has some fears. Well, the devil knows what our fears are, and he will heighten those fears. Sometimes when a person gets saved, they have a fear of taking, you know, a stand, or they have a fear of letting people know that they're saved. They're afraid that maybe their family or their friends will reject them. They're afraid that someone will give them a hard time or maybe laugh at them. Boy, I'm glad the Bible says, when thy father and mother forsook me, then the Lord took me up. I'm glad there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And when family and friends reject us, perhaps, because of our our, our testimony, uh, we need not fear. Uh, sometimes people fear, you know, uh, failure. They don't want to take a step because they're afraid they're going to fail. Uh, do you realize that most of your Bible is written by murderers? Moses killed a man, Exodus chapter 2. Yet God used him to write the first five books of the Bible. David had the blood of Uriah all over his hands. And yet David, after his repentance, God used him to write the bulk of our psalms. Then you have Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. Some some people believe that Saul killed as many as 2,000 Christians before he was converted in Acts 9. And yet wrote the bulk of our New Testament. You say, hey, maybe I should go kill somebody so God can use me. You probably have somebody in mind, you know. No, no. That's what the Roman Church was thinking when Paul wrote to the Romans in, in Romans five and verse twenty. Uh, he said, uh, 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 where, "Where grace ab- where sin abounded, grace did much more abound." And so they're thinking. They're thinking. Well, Paul's been telling us to have grace, have grace in your life, and now he's saying wherever there's sin, there's more grace. We need grace. Let's go sin so we can have more grace. And so Romans six one says, "What shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid." Right? We don't, we don't sin in order to get grace, but aren't you glad that whenever we sin, there's always enough grace of God to cover that sin? So, uh, uh, we sometimes, uh, you know, we think, well, I'm gonna fail. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna try this because I don't wanna fail. And the devil used all kinds of fears, but remember, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Isaiah 41, in verse 10, he says, Fear not, I am with thee, be not dismayed. I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In fact, John said, perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. There's no fear in love. Now, the only perfect love in this world is the love of God. And when you have the love of God in your heart, that love of God will cast out fear. The devil loves to heighten our fears. But notice, secondly, he will highlight your faults. Now, when you read the life of Peter in the Gospels, I think you would come to the conclusion that if Peter had a fault, he was um, impetuous. Peter was the kind of person who stepped into the street before he looked both ways, Right? Peter was the guy who spoke before he thought about what he was going to say. And you see it in his life over and over again. You see it in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is betrayed. Peter is the first one to pull the sword, right? And he takes a swipe at Malchus. I mean, he's ready to respond. Peter is the one that that was impetuous oftentimes in his life. Do you recognize your faults? Do you recognize your weaknesses? The devil knows them. A good coach knows the weakness of the other team. And he's gonna to try to exploit that weakness, isn't he? He's gonna to try to, he's, he's gonna to try to attack in that weak area. And you know that the devil, like a good coach, will try to expose it at a time when they can score. Right? In other words, the coach may know that, hey, this, this cornerback, he's substituting for the, for the all pro that went down to injury and he's come into the game and, and he's just a rookie and he's not played a lot of snaps and we got him there. They're, they're gonna test him a little bit, but the coach is waiting for that opportune moment when that receiver can get behind him and they can, they can get that pass for a touchdown. The devil sometimes will watch us and he'll see our faults. He'll see these things that are uh, sins that beset us, we could say. And he'll wait for a moment when it will do the most damage to our testimony. Maybe that fault is is anger. And the devil will wait until that moment when your kids are there or maybe your testimony is at stake and he'll cause you to get angry. And he makes your testimony to disappear. I think about the life of Peter and how often it seemed like in a public moment those faults were seen. That impetuousness You wonder if if Malchus ever trusted Christ as a Savior. You wonder if, if those that came to arrest Jesus ever had a heart to receive him as their Savior. And you wonder if it was because of the, the fault of Peter that was highlighted in that moment that maybe turned them away from the Lord. We have to be careful because we can think, well, I don't have any real bad faults. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't sin a lot. <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his words not in us. So we have to get good at recognizing and confessing our faults. There was a young preacher years ago, and he was invited to preach at a at a conference. And uh, this was a rather large conference; a lot of a lot of people would attend, including a number of preachers and. And uh, he was just a young, a young man at the time, and he was flattered, he was honored that they would ask him to preach at this well-renowned conference. He was a little intimidated by it, but he thought, man, this is a great opportunity, and so he accepted the invitation. He found out later that the other speaker in the conference was Dr. John R. Rice. Well, that only complicated things. Dr. Rice was a veteran evangelist, had preached for years and years and years and and had had seen revival after revival and had had raised a wonderful family, six daughters that loved the Lord and had written all these books on, on the Christian life. And this young preacher thought, what am I doing? I don't belong on the same platform with Dr. Rice. But he'd given his word that he would go and so he prayed and asked the Lord to help him. He got to the meeting and the pastor uh met with Dr. Rice and this young preacher and they said he said now we we've got a hotel room for you uh but we only have one room you're going to be staying in the same room and and back in the day that really wasn't that unusual you get a room with a couple of beds and and you share a room and, and and this young preacher thought you got to be kidding me now I not only got to preach with this guy I got to live with him for the week you know and, uh, he was nervous. Well, the first night went well. Both preached and they, you know, went well. But after the service, this young man was very worried. They got back to the hotel room and the young preacher, he didn't want to disturb Dr. Rice. He didn't want to get in his way in that room. He wanted him to have the deference, you know, of everything. And he said, Dr. Rice, uh, what, what, what time do you get up in the morning? And Dr. Rice said, well, I get up at five. He said, oh, good, good, that's great. He said, that's the time I get up. And uh, he said, uh, Dr. Rice, what do you normally do when you first get up? He wanted to let him have the bathroom if that's what he wanted, you know, whatever. He said, what do you normally do? And Dr. Rice said, well, I, I, I normally like to read my Bible and spend some time with the Lord, first thing. And the young preacher thought, that's great. He said, that's good, Dr. Rice. He said, uh, I like to get out some, and get some exercise. I like to go outside and, and take a brisk walk or a little jog and spend some time with the Lord that way. And so this will work out great. We'll get up at 5. You can have the room. I'll, I'll exit and, and, and get my time with the Lord. It's perfect. So the next morning, the alarms went off. And, and Dr. Rice, he he swung out of bed and didn't even stand up. He grabbed his Bible, and he began to read his Bible there on the edge of the bed. Young preacher, he dressed as quietly as he possibly could and exited the door, didn't say anything, just went out the door, took a key with him and went out and got his exercise. About an hour and a half, he came back and he uh, opened the hotel door. And in most uh, hotels, this isn't always the case, but in most hotels, the bathroom, the restroom, is, is almost right away as you enter the room. It's either to the right or to the left. And 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 this was the case in this room. He opened the door, and the bathroom door was open there to his right, and the light was on, and Dr. Rice was in the bathroom. And he was hunched over the, the commode, and he was tearing up a piece of paper real fast and flushing it down the toilet. And the young preacher was startled, and, and, and he wasn't sure what he was seeing here. And he, he said, uh, Dr. Rice, what, what are you doing? And Dr. Rice straightened up and turned around with tears running down his face. He said, oh, I was, I was confessing my sins. He said, I always make a list of them so I don't forget any. And then I always destroy the list so that nobody finds out how wicked I am. Wow. Maybe that's why Dr. Rice had the power that he had in preaching and in writing and in revivals. You see, he never got past the fact that I still have faults. And if we don't deal with these faults, these sins in our life, the devil will highlight those things at that opportune moment where he can make our testimony to disappear. He'll, he'll heighten our fears. He'll highlight our faults. But then notice thirdly, he will harass our faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now, it doesn't say improbable or unlikely. It says impossible. So the Bible says if we don't have faith in our life, it's impossible for us to please God. No matter what else we do, if we don't have faith, we can't please God. Now, if I was the devil and I knew that you can't please God without faith, you know what I'd do? I'd harass your faith. Because if I could destroy that component of faith in your life, I got you. You can't please God. So the devil harasses our faith. Now, Peter is a man that had some great faith. I mean, you, you think about it. When the Lord meets Peter, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, cast in a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, just put yourself in that place. Here's Peter. He's a young businessman. He's an entrepreneur. He's got his own boat. He's got his own nets. He's got a crew of men with him. And this stranger just walks by and says, follow me. He says, okay. Now, he had heard about Jesus. His brother had came and told him about the Messiah. We found the Messiah. And and, and so Peter was aware of who he was. But think about the faith that that required. Who took care of the boat? Who sold the fish that day? Who who took care of the nets? And Peter, as far as we know, is the only disciple of the Twelve that was married. Now, a lot of Jesus' ministry took place in and around... Peter's home, but not all of it. There were times where they would travel with the Lord Jesus far away from Peter's home, and he wasn't going home that night to his wife. There were no doubt many, many nights in Peter's life where he did not return back home to his wife. He's out serving God. That would take a lot of faith. And Jesus told him, now don't take anything with us. No food, no script, no extra shoes. They didn't pack suitcases. They just Lord said, I'll I'll take care of you. Faith. Now, probably the greatest instance of Peter's faith is that day when Jesus told the disciples to go over to the other side of the Sea of Tiberias, and he would meet them on the other side. So they get in a boat, they start going across. Jesus goes up in the mountain to pray. They're starting to cross this sea, and a storm comes up, and those storms are pretty common on the Sea of Galilee. They come up very quickly because of the mountains around. They, They they come through and that wind begins to blow. And this storm was a doozy. And those people, those those men, some of them were fishermen, and they knew what to do. They had to lighten that boat. They had to rein those sails in. They had to do whatever they could to get that boat to the other side. And they were doing all they could, but that storm had their number. And they're about to perish. And they look up and they see somebody walking on the water. They're not sure who he is or what it is. And John suspects that maybe it's the Lord. And Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me that I come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter steps out of the boat. Now, remember, the water's not calm. The first time I heard this story was in Sunday school. The teacher had a flannel graph lesson. And in the flannel graph lesson, the water was calm. But then I read the Bible. The water was not calm. That water was was lashing against that boat. The waves were everywhere. I mean, the water is coming out of the boat. And Peter, in the midst of that huge storm, steps out of the boat and he walks on water. I don't know another human being on the face of the earth that's even tried that. And we don't know how many steps he took. The flannel graph lesson said two, but the Bible doesn't say. In fact, Jesus was so far away, they weren't sure it was him. So maybe he took 10, 12, 15 steps. We don't know. Now, you're way ahead of me. You know he did sink. He, he got his eyes off the Lord. He, he saw the wind boisterous and the waves, and he, and he took his eyes off, and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached forth his hand and caught him, and he said, "Oh, ye of little faith. What you, would what'd you say, Lord? you got to be kidding me. I mean, this kind of faith is unheard of. What do you mean, oh, ye of little faith? Peter just walked on water. What are you talking about? Did Jesus get it wrong there? Oh, ye of little faith? Jesus says that three times in the Gospels. Three different occasions. Oh, you have little faith. And if you'll study him, he was never talking about the amount of faith. He was talking about the duration of faith. You see, Peter had great faith. But his faith failed. Remember the text? I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You see, you have great faith. You got saved. It takes great faith to get saved. You've never seen God. But you believe in Him. How do you believe in a God you can't see? Faith. How how, how do you know this is God's book? You have to receive that by faith. You have great faith. But when the disciples prayed, "Lord, increase our faith," they were not praying for more faith. Now, sometimes we say, "I need more faith. I need more faith. I gotta have more faith." No, you need elongated faith. See, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because here is what happens: we have great faith. And we can look back in our life and see where God honored our faith. We stepped out by faith and God met the need. We stepped out by faith. God saved us. We stepped out by faith. God heard our prayer. But today we got a new problem, right? we got a new challenge. Uh, I don't know. Can I trust the Lord? Should I, should I take that step? See, we need our faith to endure. And the devil's going to harass our faith. He's gonna bring trials. He's gonna bring temptations. He's gonna bring, he's gonna bring turmoil. He's gonna bring all these things that are gonna harass our faith to where he can get us to quit. And thus our testimony disappears. So he, he heightens our fears. He highlights our faults. He harasses our faith, but then he hinders our focus. In John chapter 21, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And when he said, I'm going fishing, he was saying, I'm going back. I'm going back to what I was doing before the Lord called me. And, of course, he goes out that night with some other of the disciples, and they caught nothing. They should have known because Jesus told them, without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> so they they, they 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 caught nothing. And, of course, Jesus is waiting for them at the shore in the morning. He's always waiting right where you left him. And he says, have you any meat? Did you catch anything? They said, no. He said, well, cast the net on the right side. You shall find And they cast, and now the net was immediately filled with fish, 153. And again, Peter, he, he comes to the shore. He knows it's Jesus. Jesus already has breakfast for them there. And after they had dined, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, the Bible's not a video. You can't go home this afternoon and watch the Bible. You have to go home and read the Bible right? The Bible's a book. You have to read it. It's not a video. But sometimes you have to provide video while you read, or you won't understand it. When Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? What were the these? From the words, we don't know. Because if we had been there, we would have seen Jesus point at something. He would have pointed at the other disciples around the fire. Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Or maybe he would have said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Pointing to the houses along the shore of Galilee. I don't know what's in your video, but what's in my video, I think Jesus pointed at the fish. And he wasn't asking Peter, do you love me more than fried fish? He was saying, Peter, do you love me more than what this world has to offer you? Because a few hours ago, you said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old ways. And Peter, I, I I got plans for you. I want to use you. I'm gonna I, I was planning on having you preach on the day of Pentecost, but I need to know something. Do you love me? Right? Do you love me more than these? See, the devil had hindered his focus. Peter had spent three years with the Lord. Peter had gone through all these trials and setbacks and disappointments and and all, but he had learned and he had grown. But now the devil knew, hey, God wants to use this guy, so I'm going to try to hinder his focus. The devil will try to get us distracted. He'll try to get us to look anywhere but at Christ. And that's why Paul said, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. In other words, set the dial, set the thermostat, set the, set the cruise control, set it on Christ. And you know and I know that in today's day, we can see everything around us and get our eyes off Christ. We see the pandemic, we see these crazy laws, we see people leaving California, we see the high taxes. I mean, we, we see all these things that can distract us from the Lord. And the devil uses those things to hinder our focus. The devil knows us. George Patton was the uh, commander of our allied forces in World War II. General Patton was an amazing leader. I don't know if he was a Christian. There are some um, indications that he had trusted Christ as Savior. When you read some of the things he said, you would probably wonder if that were true, some of the words that he used and so on. So we don't know. We can't judge his heart. I I have no idea if George Patton was a believer or not. But George Patton um, was an amazing leader. In fact, I've been to his grave in Luxembourg. And if you stand at General Patton's grave, I have a picture of this. If If you stand at his grave in that military cemetery, and there are tens of thousands of white crosses, Uh, where our Allied troops are buried in Luxembourg. And if you've been to a military cemetery, you know that all those crosses line up. You know they're they're in rows. They're just perfect rows. If you stand at Patton's grave, every one of those crosses, every one of those rows is in direct line with his grave. No matter which direction you look, you see a row of crosses. No matter where you look. And there there are literally tens of thousands of them. They did that on purpose because they wanted it to appear that the troops were still under his command even in their death. It's an amazing sight. George Patton kept two books on his nightstand and read from them every night. The first was the Bible. He read from the Bible every night. And people asked him, why do you read the Bible? He said, the Bible is a book of wisdom and I need wisdom. So I read the Bible. The second book was a book called Rummel's Rules of War. Who was Rummel? Rummel was the general of Hitler's army. He had written a book on the strategy of war. Now, why would Patton read that book? He wanted to know what the enemy was thinking. He wanted to know what the enemy was going to do so he could counter it. I'm glad God put both those things in this book. And when you read the Bible, you see God and his direction for your life. But the Bible also warns us through illustrations like Peter of what the enemy is going to try to do. And we would be wise to look at both, to areas where we need to obey the Lord and honor him, but also be aware that we have these vulnerabilities in our life that the devil is going to try to attack. And may God give us the grace to overcome those fears, to keep those faults, those sins confessed in our life. To endure in our faith. To keep going to the very end. To run with patience, the endurance, the race that's set before us, And then to keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look not to the right or to the left. Let the eyes look right on. and Keep your eyes, your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Peter and thank you for what you included about his life. I'm sure there was much more you could have written. But Lord, you gave us glimpses of both positive and negative in his life. And Lord, I pray that some of these things we've looked at today would be an encouragement, a help in days ahead. For Lord, we know what the devil's going to try to do. He's going to try to throw us out of the boat of our Christian life. He's going to try to get us to fail. He doesn't want Christianity to succeed or anybody else to be saved or the church to grow or revival to take place. And so... We know that. Help us to apply that personally. And this week, have victory over Satan. We pray in Jesus' name. Pastor.